to um, not do what is just habitual and not go about the day uh, with old habits and being slightly unconscious in old habits, but endeavoring to develop new habits and new preferences, new priorities, to be present, to be aware while present of what's happening, especially if that type of contact with what's happening in your body, with your ears, what's happening in your mind, your emotional states, what's happening around you, the sounds uh, coming into your house, and also in contact with the greater sense of the world we're in, that we're all, we're all alive on this planet at this time. And so we'll, as your heart opens, you'll make contact with your neighborhood and a greater ring around your neighborhood. And we want our practice to be able to touch all these levels of our lives. So you're with a group of people who are trying something that takes effort. And we wouldn't be here if this was something already familiar or we all want to strengthen these capacities. So as you look around and you see different faces through a day, um, you're with noble people who have noble intentions for more patience, more kindness, more presence, uh, more perspective. And you can draw upon that so that you're not alone in this process of waking up or you're not alone in this process, sometimes struggling with what it means to be in intimate contact with the world. So <clears throat> you can beam out some loving kindness to everybody here on the screen. May we all be well. May we all be present. May we all be able to meet our experience with courage and patience, tenderness, clarity. And then we will be, yeah, we'll be talking a lot about meditation practice, but as we took the precepts and as we took the refuges yesterday, or I guess the first night on Monday, those are also to be practiced. Um, so I want to just bring them up that our practice of sila, of ethical attunement, is just as important as our practice of presence. So how you're interacting with yourself and the life around you, we want it to be kind and non-harming and to put some of our attention in that direction as well. Today, we're gonna to continue uh, strengthening our relationship to what we call our primary anchor, something that anchors us into the flow of the present so we don't follow old habits of wandering into thoughts about the future and the past or problem solving things high up in our intellect and not have this direct contact with the present. So just as yesterday, that's an embodiment practice. If you can bring your attention into your body, feeling your breath. And then when doing walking meditation, you'll be bringing your attention to your feet to your legs, to your hips as you walk, maybe to your sense doors. If you're doing immediate mindfulness, you might be aware of what's your, what you're seeing in the moment, what you're hearing in the moment. 
And that's how we create the foundation of mindfulness is the first foundation, which is right in the body, bringing our attention into the body, bringing our attention to the immediate sense doors, our eyes, ears, nose, mouth, tongue. And even having mindfulness that our thoughts, even if they're about the future, those thoughts are happening in the present. So we want to uh, improve our perspective through mindfulness, that whatever is happening, we have perspective. This is happening in this moment. And then we'll see what happens in the next moment and in the next moment. It's a little bit like an old uh, record where the needle lies perfectly in the groove and it doesn't lean ahead, it doesn't lean back, it doesn't dislike some music and pull back, it doesn't prefer some music and dig in. The record just faithfully lies right in the groove and feels every bump. And from that, symphonies arise, or the blues, or jazz, or recorded children's songs, or ancient chanting. That needle that can rest right in the groove of the present can then uh, go through everything, every, all music that has ever been created. One needle resting faithfully right in the present and vibrating gets to vibrate through everything. And that's what our mindfulness practice will develop to be, resting our mind right in the flow of the present without anticipating or lingering with what has happened or what might happen. But if you can just rest in the stream of the phenomena right at hand, that becomes a basis of how we can respond when we're not doing formal practice. That, that true fidelity of being in the present allows us to see what's happening. And then when our hearts want to resp uh, respond, we respond from true contact into our, uh, and follow our intentions. But we have to learn to rest that needle in whatever is happening in the present. What we'll discover is that there are challenges and what we'll add today as an instruction is <clears throat> to anticipate that no matter how we set ourselves up, we don't only have the experiences we want. And that if you have experiences that you don't want, that's not a failure, that's human life. Human life, we have some influence over what happens we have an over-projected sense that we can control our experiences. And then we get frustrated and disoriented when we can't do that. So with mindfulness practice, we build a greater uh, range of experiences we can be with and not be thrown into reactivity, to have to run away from what's unpleasant or to have to grab and try to hold on to what's pleasant or to check out and be bored with what's neutral. Those are three conventional habits, but we wanna have more than just conventional habits. We wanna have wakeful habits. And this gets us into what's called the second foundation of mindfulness. The first foundation is what it's like to be embodied. The second foundation is to let mindfulness be steady, even if what you're experiencing is unpleasant to let mindfulness be steady, even if what your experience is neutral, and to let mindfulness be present, even if your experience was pleasurable, but not to get lost in the dream of what's pleasurable, but to see, yeah, this is definitely pleasurable, 
and now the pleasure is increasing or now it's fading or now the quality is changing. You want to stay in that stream and not be overly uh, drawn towards pleasant experiences or overly rejecting of neutral or painful experiences. You wanna find the doable range of a stretch that allows you to do that. If you take on too large uh, direct contact with something painful, you will be thrown into reactivity. A sound that's too loud and disturbing. News about a family member that's ill might be too hard to make direct contact with before you find that your heart is uh, drawn into grief or anxiety. So as much as possible, we try to make our environment conducive so that we can be mindful through the range of what arises. But we have to expect that that range will constantly shift between pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experiences. That's so important for the development of our greater well-being that the Buddha made it a whole foundation of mindfulness to be in contact with what's upsetting, to be in contact with what's pleasurable, but with perspective, to be in contact with what's neutral and not use it at a time to check out because we have a instinctual relationship that neutral experiences don't have much value. At least our conventional minds have that habit. So again, we might flow along and our experience might be very immediate in what we're feeling as we breathe, what we hear, in our houses, what we hear around our neighborhood that comes in. Or through uh, understanding, we also might realize that there's a larger context and your heart may come in contact with a sense that the world is going through something uh, very unprecedented, very large in scale, that there is a lot of suffering. And so your heart, as it settles, might come in contact with the fact that you personally might be suffering, your family might be suffering, or you might be in contact with the world is also going through difficulties. That's just another area where you allow mindfulness to keep perspective. You don't have to neutralize those responses. You want to have contact with them and see if you can take down the overreactivity so that your heart can touch what's happening. And again, I use the example of my father's aging. I want to make contact with who he is today, not be lost in the yearning of who he was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And that's worth it. It's worth it for me to have some unpleasantness so that I can be intimate with this person I love today. So sometimes it's worth it to be in contact with what's unpleasant more beautiful things come out than if I just turned away. So we want to have some courage to extend the range of what we can be in contact with. With that said, I'm about to guide us in meditation where we will come back into this primary place to guide our attention out of our chattering minds, uh, our scattered minds, and see if we can begin to collect our attention in the flow of simple present time experiences, body sensations or the breath. Or for some people, you'll have to rest in sound because the sound is so 
uh, intense, like somebody mowing the lawn behind you. It's very hard to ignore, or a barking dog, or a talking uh, housemate. Sometimes it's very stressful not to acknowledge that there are sounds. But upon, after acknowledging them, we do want to uh, develop a relationship to the lived experience of being inside your body as a field of ever-changing body sensations. That's our primary anchor, and that's the first foundation of mindfulness. Then you're going to guide your attention in your experience to experiment with what's it like to be in contact with body sensations that are unpleasant. And how long can you do that before you get frustrated, before your mind gets tired and reactive? And if it does, it's good to bring your attention back to where you can dispel that frustration. You bring your attention back maybe to sounds or some other part of your body where your mind can calm down. If being in contact with what's painful uh, undermines your mindfulness and brings up a sense of despair or frustration or anxiety that you're making contact with something unpleasant in your body. You can also explore, I'll guide you through exploring pleasant experiences. And when you look at pleasant experiences, you might see the truth of pleasant experiences is they are pleasant, but they're often not as pleasant as the concepts of pleasure present, which is why we end up getting disappointed that the, the, the um, promise of sweet sounds, the promise of sweet body sensations, when we really experience them, they're only as pleasant as they actually are. And that isn't disappointing if you don't overestimate what pleasure can offer. And then a lot of what we will experience will be in the range of the familiar and often the familiar becomes neutral over time. It has less charge. And that's where we tend to space out. We tend to uh, wander easily if what we're trying to feel is neutral. So with these forewarnings uh, and sort of a, um, some clues from the Buddha about what our, our unconscious tendencies tend to be. Then when we come into practice, we can see why we're practicing. We want to be intimate with the whole range of the body, not to space out on the neutral or contract or hate or resent the parts that are painful. We don't want to be uh, overly enchanted by what's pleasurable and actually lose contact just by the, the promise and the fantasy uh, that finally something pleasant has happened. Like that record needle doesn't uh, prefer the flutes more than the cellos and try to jump out of the track every time a cello comes, or it doesn't dig in and try to grab onto the flute and then start going around the record stuck on the flute section. And, uh, the way the needle produces all the music that can be put underneath it is it's willing to feel everything. And that's why symphonies and the blues and African music and Middle, Middle Eastern music, it all comes through because the, the needle is so brave to feel everything that vibrates under it. We want to develop that kind of practice. So with that said, 
find a posture that allows your animal body to be at ease. Our animal bodies are not the problem. They're not something that we have to uh, force to be one way or another. We wanna sit with an attitude that's kind towards the body, that allows the body to rest. So invite your body into a sitting posture. Some people need to lie down for their health. Some people have learned that from sitting, you can come to standing and then back to sitting and that may help alleviate some pain that is hard to work with. But for the most part, we're sitting still to let our bodies have some ease. As much ease as they can feel, depending on what they're feeling today. Then take a few deep breaths in, let those breaths slowly out. And just as we don't throw away the breath, we just relax and the breath lets go, our body lets go of the breath. It's through relaxation that much of our chaos inside drains out of us because we have a relaxed attitude. And then it can be helpful to sit up just a little bit within that relaxation. Start with your chest lifted just a little bit because we often droop unconsciously over time. So we can lift the chest and then tuck your chin down a little bit so that it's easy to breathe. Your body is in a balanced state between ease and relaxation and yet still have uprightness. And then we do the same for the heart and the mind. We allow the heart and the mind to fully relax, to put aside any concerns for the past or the future. Put aside any plans we have, any memories we're trying to sort out. We invite our hearts and our minds to be simple and at ease. As we keep welcoming that ease, we also want to sit up a little bit in our hearts and our minds. So we want to have the ease, but also some intimacy, some wakefulness in that ease. So we can actively appreciate what we're experiencing.
with that foundation of relaxation and presence, we want to welcome a spirit of equanimity. It doesn't matter what arises. It matters how we're relating to what's arising. That's a spirit of equanimity. You can have equanimity at your ears and accept all the ambient sounds. You might hear birds, again, dogs or cars, sounds of people you're living with or animals you're living with. See if you can have a peaceful relationship where sounds come and go, and then there's silence between them. For some of you working with sound would be the best way to find your balance. And you might do that before you come into feeling your body and your breath. And for others, you can turn towards this lived experience of being inside your human animal body. tens of thousands of nerve endings, letting you know where your body is in space with your eyes closed, feeling the places of contact where your clothing is touching your skin, the supportive pressure of cushions at your back or supporting you from below. sense of temperature, maybe on your hands and your face and your arms. And right away you can see, do I have this 
loving, equanimous relationship to my body, where I soften my preferences of what I would like to experience. And instead I learn to appreciate what I am experiencing. These are the sensations of my body right now. And then within the body, there's the experience of breathing, the expansion and relaxation of your chest, the pushing outward and relaxation of your belly, cool air coming in your nose and warm air coming out. Whenever you feel a little lost in your wandering mind, you can always count on finding, finding the breath as a way to realign with present time awareness. This old friend of the breath. The rooster is cheering us on. You heard the rooster.
And now along with this foundational practice of mindfulness, the first foundation in relationship to the body, body sensations, we can add in a mindful sensitivity to notice what I call my experience that I'm having pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Is it basically neutral with a bit of pleasure? Basically neutral with a bit of unpleasantness? Is it predominated by pleasantness, predominated by unpleasantness or pain? It's just asking that question while tasting your moment by moment experience. As you feel into your body and have sounds in the background and visitation of thoughts, different emotional states, mental states. Is there any part of this that has this taste of being unpleasant? how much of what I'm experiencing would come close to the word neutral. And how much of what I'm experiencing has tone or quality of being pleasant. So you're staying mindful of the same things sounds, your body, your breath, aware of visiting thoughts and then coming back to your anchor. But right in those experiences, you can also ask, is this a pleasant, unpleasant, or more towards neutral? experience.
Now, as an experiment, you can turn your mindfulness towards an experience that has this tone of being unpleasant. And I would start with something that is mildly unpleasant so that you can spend some time being directly in contact. Could be some pressure building up in your feet, in your sitting posture. Could be an itch on your nose. Could be an ache in some other part of your body. And see what it's like to attempt to be patient and accepting that this is your experience right now. What happens as we consciously choose to be in contact with something unpleasant? Can you stay relaxed and breathe in and out while allowing that part of your body's experience, or maybe it's a sound, And what we want to take note of is how does that affect your relationship to it? Do you find that you lose patience, that you become worried or frustrated? Do you get lost in the story around the sensation? Or are you able to breathe in and out and have some tolerance for a non-threatening pain? Surprisingly, most of the pain we feel is in the tension towards the primary thing we call painful. A lot of the pain is in the resistance, the agitation, 
wishing it weren't there. We can relax all that secondary agitation. We might find that the actual pain is quite small or focused or discreet. And a lot of the unpleasantness was the unconscious rejection of it. Can you remind yourself to try to be relaxed, to try to be patient, to try to be accepting that at least for right now, part of your experience is unpleasant. And then at some point we all need to take a break. So you might turn your attention back towards some other part of your experience that isn't unpleasant. Maybe the sensations in your hands or what it feels like as you breathe. or maybe open up to ambient sounds. And you can feel the cooling off when in contact with something more neutral. Or the reassurance of something that has a pleasant association
Now, another experiment we can do is we can turn our mindful attention towards anything that feels pleasant, either in the body, maybe as sounds, For some people, what's pleasant is to open your eyes and look around your room. Take in the colors, the shapes, something more beautiful. Maybe that would be more obviously pleasant. See if first you can find something pleasant in your body and open up to sounds. And for some people, it's to open your eyes to be mindful of present time experiences that have this pleasant tone. And then what do you notice when trying to be mindful of pleasure? Is it hard to find? If you can find something pleasant, is the pleasantness actually in the experience? Is a sound inherently pleasant? Is a certain body sensation inherently pleasant? What happens when we become mindful of pleasant experiences?
And then lastly, how reliable is the pleasure? Does it stay steady? Or does your mind become a little bit bored and go looking for something else that's pleasant? Not trying to judge here, just trying to watch the habits of mind and make conscious what happens when we contact pleasure, pain, or neutrality. And then bringing your attention back towards your anchor, back towards your breath, back towards feelings in your body, sensations in your body. For many people, the breath is kind of neutral. It's not clearly pleasant or unpleasant. But a field of familiar sensations. And you find it soothing to be with something neutral. Or do you find that it's difficult to stay with something neutral because there's no charge for or against it? Maybe that's partly why our attention wanders. Our attention might be more interested in drama than in peacefulness. 
So it might be difficult to be loyal to the soothing quality of being with something as simple as breathing. So in a moment, we'll have uh, some questions about your practice or brief observations if you want to share them. I just want to state uh, ahead of time that in guided meditations, they don't often sync up exactly with the pace that would work better for you. So if you want to play with this, play with it at a pace that's better for your attention, either slowing it down or just doing little investigations. And you don't have to do this level of investigation all through the day, but it would be good to weave it in today, especially if you find that it's difficult to be with walking or sitting and you're putting effort in. Every now and then it's helpful to say, is some of my struggle from this second foundation of mindfulness? Is there something unpleasant I really don't want to experience? Is there something pleasant that I'm trying to experience? Or are things neutral enough, it's hard to be present because I just keep spacing out. That can be helpful feedback because the second foundation, it's called Vedna, the old Pali word, this feeling tone of experience, the pleasant unpleasant quality is where a lot of our unconscious reactivity comes from. And what we want to develop is a conscious capacity to stay in contact with reality, even if it's pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. And then we can respond to reduce what's unpleasant if that's possible, uh, or even to cultivate what's pleasant or to cultivate what's neutral. We wanna have more choice around it because eventually you won't be able to only choose pleasant experiences and you won't be able to fend off unpleasant experiences. It's just not possible. The Buddha called Vedana, or he gave a metaphor that Vedana is like the wind. It blows from any direction it wants to. 
It can be a hot wind, a cold wind, a dusty wind, a dustless wind, a gentle wind, a strong wind, a gusty wind, a steady wind. It can come from the east, the north, the south. So our experiences will change. And if we don't know how to be present with unpleasant experiences, we'll only be driven into reactivity. And if we get stuck on needing to have pleasant experiences and chase them and try to grab them, we'll be frustrated because we can't establish only pleasant experiences. But there's a kind of well-being that can arise independent of whether your experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. It's, we want to uncuff, uncouple, like our happiness and conventionally is stuck on pleasant Vedana. And if Vedana is unpleasant, we're stuck suffering. But over time, we can do this magic trick where we separate them. And all it is actually is separating them. I can have greater well-being no matter what the Vedana is doing. And that's one of the increases that mindfulness gives us. We don't have to have our basic reactivity. We can expand the range that we can be content within while still responding to pain compassionately, while still cultivating pleasure and joy, but we don't have to be as locked in to only being unhappy when there's displeasure or only being happy when there's pleasure. Are there any questions about that, about what you experienced or about the instruction for the day? And if you can raise your hand, Cheryl asks, 